I'd just really like to say thank you to Sally and to Claire and for Sarah um, for all that they shared earlier on because it's, um, it just shows how God is using every element of the service to bring his message to us. Um, there have been all sorts of words. I'm reading a book at the moment called Moving Mountains, and it's a, a book on prayer. And two of the songs tonight were about moving mountains. Um, so, you know, these things don't just come together by accident. Um, just thank the Lord for that. So, um, as we begin this sermon, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you will still our hearts and minds to hear what you want to say to each of us. Lord, I just pray that you will use my words um, and that we will hear from you as individuals and corporately as your body, the church. Amen. So we're going to look at one specific verse from each of those readings we had tonight. Um, they're like two sides of the same coin, really. The first one from Romans was um, the one that Anthony read to us, and it finishes off by saying, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And on the other side of the coin, if we do that, then Hebrews 10.24 says to us, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Um, I think, you know, that kind of uh, reflects what Claire was saying about spurring one another on to a, a spirit of boldness and um, going forwards to whatever it is that God has for us. So we're going to look at Romans first. Um, throughout his letter to the Romans, Paul has a real desire to foster unity in the young church as people grow into the sort of life that fits with being followers of Jesus. We can see in this chapter that there were clearly issues between some of them in the church at that time. For example, there were differences of opinion about what sort of food they should eat. Those who had followed the Jewish faith would have been used to eating just kosher food, but this meant nothing to the believers who'd come from the Gentile background, who were probably used to eating meat that was prepared um, and sacrificed to idols. It sounds like perhaps some of the new Christians were trying so hard to follow the new way that they turned their back on their previous habits um, just to prove that they weren't any longer under their influence. Perhaps other more established followers were telling them that they didn't have to stop eating these things and they were judging them and looking down on them as weak. But Paul Fett says in verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's a bit like um, if you went to the pub with a, with a friend who had an alcohol problem, you would adapt your, your drinking. Perhaps you know, you'd join him in an orange juice instead of having a large glass of Shiraz or something. Um, so it's better not to do anything that will, that will cause, cause your brother to fall. It's great to come to church to meet our friends, isn't it? To have a chat and sing songs. But Paul shows us it's about more than that. 
He wants us to be united in our worship as we give glory to Jesus. And if that's the purpose of coming together as church, we shouldn't be putting obstacles in the way of each other um, and in the way of growing closer to Christ. All who belong to the church of God can say, Jesus is Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. If, if you look around here this evening, we're a disparate group, aren't we? All walks of life. Um, but what we have in common with each other is our love for Jesus, and he has chosen each one of us, and we become united to each other together as we walk the path. Every cog and wheel, every nut and bolt in this engine we call church is vital to its smooth running. We need everyone. None of us is more important than the other, and none of us has the right to ju pass judgment on the other. So in verse 1, Paul says, don't quarrel over disputable matters. So he admits there are things Christians can disagree about. Doesn't mean we're compromising the fundamental message of the gospel. So what might this look like for us today? Well, maybe it's like wearing masks. Some wear masks, some don't. Some eat meat, others don't. Some have a political viewpoint that's different from others. We all make choices, but what matters is that we don't let them become an obstacle in our relationships with each other. It's not our place to judge others. Remember how Jesus warned us to take the plank out of our own eye rather than judging someone uh, because of the splinter in theirs. It's about respecting others whose outlook or opinion or habits differ from our own but we can come together in love because of Jesus, who died for each one of us. Paul encourages us in Romans 15, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Look around in a Sunday service, See all the different elements that come together, all the, all the different giftings. There's stewards and church wardens and chair movers and coffee makers and welcomers and preachers and leaders and musicians and singers and so many different people. Um, and we all come together and we're all necessary um, to help each other to worship God. What comes to mind when you hear the words stumbling block? Do you imagine a large obstacle in the road, something you can't get around? Maybe you have to turn back and find another way. But they aren't always big boulders, are they? Sometimes they're small, niggling little things, like a stone in your shoe. Over the last few years, I've developed a habit of walking. I have been walking all my life, but this is particularly walking a bit further. Um, so I often find when I'm out walking that that's when I hear most clearly from God. It's quiet and there are no interruptions, no phone ringing. And I, I have uh, so far resisted the temptation to put my AirPods in and listen to some music. Um, sometimes I will walk instead just for the fresh air and the exercise and my watch gives me a little reward when, I, when I've passed a mile or whatever it is. So, um, 
quite often, well, most days, uh, instead of coming straight to work, I walk and do a, a, a longer route, sometimes even, you know, 40, 50 minutes if I can manage it. Um, and the other day, I was walking along Keynes Lane, um, and I hit a stumbling block, and it was the smallest little protruding um, inspection cover that I had just failed to see, um, and it, I hit it with my right foot, and I did two huge um, steps to try to regain my balance because I did not want to fall down like an old lady in the road. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being an old lady, I say. Um, but I did manage to stay upright for those two long steps, but almost in slow motion, I lost it, and I ended up on all fours in the middle of the pavement. Um, I wasn't hurt, only my pride. And that word pride leads me on to the other types of stumbling block, the self-inflicted ones. If we shouldn't judge others and put obstacles in each other's way, it logically follows we should not judge ourselves either. Our pride, our self-consciousness, our fears, our weaknesses, those things that stop us from continuing along the, the road, the things that trip us up or divert us from our path can be our own self-inflicted obstacles. And I guess we all have them. We hear so much about mental health these days. It's always been there, but with the pandemic, it's given us an opportunity to admit that sometimes we're not all right. In the last couple of years, haven't we all felt isolated, anxious, lonely, out of routine, depressed, sad, fearful? At last, it's been okay to admit it. So often, we think it's a sign of weakness to admit we struggle. People ask how we are, and we say, I'm fine. Perhaps we can begin to let down our guard and admit that sometimes we're far from feeling fine and that we just like someone to listen or chat to or pray with. I don't know how you respond, but I feel it's a privilege to walk a little way with an, a fellow traveler on their journey to support them when things are tough. And on the other side, how good it is to be on the receiving end um, of that sort of care and prayer. So now let's flip the coin and look at the other side. Look at, let's remember how that second reading begins. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Christ's sacrifice on the cross has removed the curtain that symbolized the divide between us and God. Do you remember how Mark records it? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At last, through Jesus' death on the cross, we were given the privilege of coming into God's presence at any time. Before Jesus died for us, it was the high priest alone 
who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and then only once a year. And our passage goes on to describe how we can grow in faith and deepen our relationship with God and how we can encourage each other as we walk our journey of faith and how we should meet together to worship. Do we really appreciate what a privilege it is to come to church on Sunday? Let me read verses 24 and 25 again. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Have you heard someone say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian? C.S. Lewis gave a useful illustration to one of his students who said this to him. As they sat by the fire talking, Lewis got up and with a pair of tongs took a hot coal out of the fire and laid it on the hearth. Sometime later, as their time together drew to a close, he pointed out this coal lying cold and black on the hearth. That's why Christians need to meet together as church. Alone, our faith can go cold but together we burn hot and brightly by the power of the Holy Spirit who binds us to each other and energizes us to do what God desires of us. Why do you think Great Britain did so well in the London Olympics? I'm sure a great deal of our success was down to the training and commitment of our athletes. But I also think that the support of the crowd from the home nation cheering them on from the stands was a huge encouragement spurring them on to even greater achievements. Or cast your mind back two years to the first lockdown and the Thursday night clapping. Wasn't it great to see neighbours outside all at the same time, united in the same simple act of clapping for the NHS? It was the greatest way to break that feeling of isolation. We knew then that we were all in it together. And it wasn't just in our street. I felt choked with emotion that first Thursday evening when I went outside just before eight o'clock. And there was silence. And I thought, do I start clapping or... um..." So I stood there for a moment and then I could hear this wave coming across the town. And it just choked me. Um, So I started clapping and all the neighbors started clapping and it was fantastic. It was just so good, what an amazing experience um, and what a meaningful act, not just for the people we were clapping for, but for ourselves too. I think that's what it means to spur someone on. I guess really it's about riding a horse and the spurs jabbing into the horse's flank to make him start and to encourage him on and to push him faster. And that's just what the writer of the Hebrews is urging us to do to encourage one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. In other words, we have a responsibility, a responsibility to minister to one another in love by meeting together, joining in fellowship, sharing experiences, listening to each other's stories, learning from one another, and growing closer together as a result.
Do you feel like me when we have the sharing time in the evening service? We hear stories of encouragement, stories of struggle, pictures. It's just wonderful. Um, yeah, just um, stories of how people have experienced God, either through prayer, through the Bible, through another Christian, just being spurred on. And verse 25 finishes with, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is the day of Christ's return. There's an urgency here. We shouldn't let the grass grow under our feet or think, I'll get around to it one day. This is urgent and important, and we need to get started today. Is there someone you've been meaning to thank for doing something? Have you noticed a person who's low and needs a coffee and a chat? Do you know of a family struggling with illness or childcare, can't get to church on Sundays? Ring them today or drop a card through their letterbox. Offer to do some shopping for them today. Can we all adopt a new habit? Can we commit to being more active in church instead of just coming to receive? Can we look for an opportunity to contribute or to offer our time or gifts or to thank those that serve or minister to us? I know we're past the new year, but we can still make a resolution to spur one another on and build each other up because then we build up the church in love and unity and it's witnessed by the world as they ask, what have these Christians got? I love the picture of the early church in Acts 4. I'll read you um, verses 32 to 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Interesting, isn't it? Out of the whole church that was so united and full of people sharing with one another, just one person is named Joseph, the encourager. The apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What an important role he had. He led by example. Could each of us aim to be a bit more like a Barnabas? For those who have been in the church for some years, you may remember, you will remember, Hugh Smith. I always think of Hugh as a Barnabas. He was a humble man and didn't make a big show of his ministry. He sat just about where Sarah's sitting now. <laughs> but each Sunday, he would make a, um, a real positive effort to approach somebody, at least one person, and thank them and he would give them a word of encouragement, and he would build them up. And having been on the receiving end once or twice, I know it had just that effect. 
could we aim to do that each week? And maybe we ask, does it really matter? Verses 26 to 27 say, yes, it does. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If we don't spur one another on, and if we don't meet as Christ's body, the church, there is a danger of turning our backs on a relationship with Jesus and our faith in him, and that will result in judgment as enemies of God. So the writer of Hebrews isn't just saying, isn't it nice to pat each other on the back and feel how comfortable and friendly it is to be together? He's underlining how vital it is to our eternal salvation to continue meeting together and building each other up in our faith rather than abandoning it and extinguishing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives by rejecting Jesus' offer of salvation, the most precious gift ever given. As Hebrews says in, 30, in verses 35 to 36, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So let us remember both sides of that coin we began with. Let us not judge others who have a different outlook to us. Let us not view others as weak or make their Christian journey harder by placing obstacles in their path. But instead, let us spur one another on and continue to meet as Christ's body, where each of us is vital to the health and smooth running of the body, and where each of us has a responsibility for the well-being of the others. Let us show others how we are united by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us when we choose to follow Christ. Let this be our prayer. Amen.